Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. We're in our series in the book of Esther. So you want to grab your Bibles and uh, grab your Bibles and go to page, I think it's page 418. Uh, Bless you, 419 uh, is where we're going to be at. We're going to be reading chapter 4 and a little bit into chapter 5 here today. We're in this series, we called Connecting the Dots. It's a bit of a metaphor, if you remember the dot-to-dot books, uh, random dots on a page, numbers by them, and then when you start going from dot one to dot two and three and four, slowly a picture comes into focus. Um, and uh, in the book of Esther, uh, God is never mentioned, and, th- and that's on purpose, I think, because the author is trying to help us understand that, yes, sometimes God comes through in dramatic fashion. The Red Sea parts, manna shows up in the morning, a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of cloud of fire by night. Um, but many times, uh, God it just is, it seems that he's silent, seems like he's absent, and What the writer is teaching us is not to uh, interpret that as that he doesn't care or he's not there. Oftentimes, God is acting anonymously, and uh, we see this in this book. Last week, uh, Rob Basham uh, talked to us about about chapter 3, helped us understand that that we are people who love to see God's faithfulness in real time. Uh, We pray, we we, we want an answer now. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that oftentimes that's not, how, that's not how God works. We end up having to wait. And, and his faithfulness at times is invisible. And, uh, and so we wait. And as we wait, we get to see how he's been at work within us as we look back and again connect the dots. He also introduced us to the villain of the story, Haman, and gave us a picture <laughs> to help us sort of visualize who this horrible but mean person is. Looks a lot like you over there, Mr. Candelo. Uh, oh, we may have messed with that picture a little bit. Um, but, and Rob also taught us uh, that in Jewish culture, that, um, you know, when, you, when the, the name that, or the story is, is read out loud, uh, and the Jewish culture, they'll read from chapter 1 all the way through the, fe- the Feast of Purim, um, usually in the month of March. They'll read, and any time the name Haman is about to be spoken, uh, the, the Jews will boo and they will hiss and attempt to blot out uh, his name. So I'm going to read chapter 4 into chapter 5. We're going to do the same thing, but we're going to up our game a bit. Because we kind of just been breaking you in on this. Uh, because also in, in Jewish culture, when the name Mordecai and Esther is read, these are the heroes of the story. Yeah, you do exactly that. You cheer. You, you clap. Yay. You, you hoot and holler. And, um, and we're going to do that. We're going to boo Haman. And then we're going to cheer on Mordecai and Esther. And if this is your first week here at Sam Alliance, welcome. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's just a little different, but it's, it's just one way to, to engage in the story. So we're going to warm up. I don't think you need to warm up, but we'll, we'll try it anyway. So put this phrase up on the screen. I'm going to read it. When I say Esther, you cheer. Mordecai, you cheer. And don't let me say Haman because you need to boo that out. Ready? I got one person back here ready. You guys ready? All right, ready. Okay, here we go. In chapter 4, Esther talks to Mordecai about edict. 
I'm telling you, you guys set the bar uh, on this. Now, I'm going to have to, I'm going to warn you, um, use the New Living Translation because I think someone last week like booted like the wrong time. That, that's embarrassing. And uh, so if you got your iPad, got your phone, use the New Living Translation. Uh, or again, the, the Bible in the pew rack in front of you, page 419, will get you to this text. Again, I'm reading chapter 4, a bit into chapter 5. Sometimes the names come pretty close, but I believe in you. You got this. Here we go. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city, crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews." They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathok, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was, why he was in mourning. So Hathok went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathok a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathok to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathok to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathok returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathok to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. You guys are doing good. Verse 11, all the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathok gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape. This is a very serious story, people. (laughs) But I think you get the point. We know who the heroes are. Uh, Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. 
So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. Then the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. And Esther replied, if it please the king, let the king and come today to a banquet I have prepared for the king. The king turned to his attendants and said, tell to come quickly to a banquet as Esther has requested. So the king and went to Esther's banquet. While they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, now tell me what you really want. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Esther replied, this is my request and my deepest wish. If I have found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request and do what I ask, please come with tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for you. Then I will explain what this is all about. This is God's holy word, and thank you for your help in reading the story. Hey, we're connecting the dots. Let's keep putting the dots up on the slide here. We're building the story. Uh, it starts with Xerxes calling for a banquet. Xerxes gets drunk. He summons his queen Vashti to be paraded in front of his drunken nobles and in front of himself. Vashti refuses and is deposed as queen. Esther is brought to the harem, and then she's chosen and made queen. Mordecai is promoted to palace official. And then Mordecai discovers an assassination plot to kill King Xerxes. That's a really important dot because later you'll see how that, that plays into the story. Now Rob preached on this last week. Haman, the villain, is promoted. Mordecai's nationality is discovered. They find out that he's Jewish. Xerxes has an empty treasure. The, the kingdom of Persia is in a uh, recession uh, because of a war with Greece. And then Haman rolls the dice. Uh, Rob talked about this, that you know, man may roll the dice, but God determines the outcome. Haman rolls the dice because an edict, a decree has been made to uh, annihilate the Jews. He's irritated with the Jew Mordecai, and so he rolls the dice to pick a date for this, uh, this genocide. And a date is chosen. It just so happens it's not one week or two weeks out. It's nearly a year out, which is really important in this story. And chapter four, beginning of five, we get more dots. An edict is written. Second one here is Mordecai is mourning. And then the third one, Esther's servants notice Mordecai. This is important. It seems like just, well, that, that's not a big deal. But Esther's not going to hear about this unless Mordecai is seen mourning by the servants. And then uh, we keep going. Esther calls for three days of fasting. And then she risks her life uh, by going into the king when she's not summoned. And then lastly, we've got the king extending his scepter, which Esther's life is spared. And then she makes the invitation to uh, a banquet to come meet with her. So the dots will continue to add up as we get to the end. We'll put them all together and we'll have a sense of, look what God has been doing. Our God who acts anonymously on our behalf. Now, here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about three things that are, are hidden in this text. We're talking about a hidden God who is, who's active among us. But in this text, we've got three hidden things. A hidden hero, we've got hidden faith, and we've got a hidden future. I want to hit all three. The hidden hero, hidden faith, hidden future. And then I want to talk about the implications for you and I today. This story is well over 2,000 years old. This is 480 B.C., 
is when this story takes place. But it has implications for us. For those of us who live in Salem and Kaiser, the Willamette Valley, it has implications for us in how we live and follow our Christ today. So we'll talk uh, quickly about that. Let's start with the hidden hero. If I pose a question to you and I say, what's the kind of person that God uses? You probably have some names that come to mind. And typically what most people think is that when God wants to do something significant, he chooses extraordinary people to get the job done. But the reality is, while yes, we we might think of missionaries or pastors or authors or evangelists or professors, all these, these, these big names that maybe come to mind, the fact of the matter is that most of the time, God uses the ordinary person. Uh, Esther chapter 4 and chapter 5, rightly so, the names that are remembered are the names of Mordecai and Esther. They're, they're the, the, the heroes, the, the prevalent heroes of the story. But there are other heroes. And the hero that I want to point out is a guy named Hathak. Hathak, he, uh, he's, he's assigned to Queen Esther. He's a eunuch, which, yes, it tells you that, that he's, he's gone through a horrible procedure. But more importantly, he is an exile. He too is a captive. He's been assigned to Queen Esther, and Hathak plays a crucial role in this story. Uh, We we may not remember his name, but he is the one who's sent by Esther when Mordecai is in mourning. uh, He's sent with new clothes because Esther wants to resolve the pain that Mordecai is in. It seems like she's oblivious to the edict. Hathak goes out there, and then Mordecai is like, no, I'm not wearing the new clothes because this decree has been made to wipe out the Jews. And Hathak gets a copy of the decree. He goes back to Esther. Esther hears about it, and, and Mordecai is saying, you need to go beg for mercy. Esther tells Hathak, go back to Mordecai and tell him that it's illegal to just show up in the king's throne room. And by the way, there was another queen that went that refused to obey the, the, the king's orders, and she was deposed. deposed. She made a bold move. And Esther is thinking, I can't make that bold kind of move because I might be deposed, or worse yet, executed. So Mordecai sends Hathok back to Esther to deliver this next news that, well, perhaps it's just for a time, for such a time like this, Esther, that you have been made queen of Persia. Perhaps this is what God is doing. And Esther comes to this moment where she realizes that, you know what, maybe that's true. I'm going to go in. I want, Hathak, I want you to go back and I want you to tell Mordecai to call the Jewish people of Susa to fasting. And I'm going to fast too with my servants. And, um, and then on the third day, I'm going to see the king. Hathak is going back and forth between Esther and Mordecai. And if he doesn't play his role, the story ends quite differently. And friends... The scriptures are full of people like Hathok, whose names we do not remember, whose names sometimes we're not even told, who are doing significant kingdom work. Their kingdom contribution is, is so important, and yet we don't even remember them. We, we, just, we go right past them to what appear to be the, the bigger names, the people that we, you know, we think that, you know, we live in a celebrity culture. We're drawn to the big names. But here in Esther chapter four, it's a hidden hero. And the Bible's full of them. And the church throughout history has been full of them. And this room is full of them. People who are doing things. God acts anonymously. And many of you are acting anonymously. Just doing your routine. It seems insignificant, but actually it's crucial to the kingdom of God advancing. 
And in scripture, we see, we hear about names, like a guy named Tertius. You, you probably don't even remember his name, and that, that's okay. No, no shame in that. He only shows up one time in the Bible. It's at the end of the book of Romans. Uh, Romans 16, is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. It's just full of names of people. And Paul, is, he's, he's, he's been writing this book and dictating this book. He, he's saying, you know, say hi to Eponidas. He's my first uh, convert. Uh, greet this family over here. Greet these people over here. And it's just full of the, the, the names that he has been co-laboring with. And in Romans 16, verse 22, we read this. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Paul is dictating the book of Romans. Okay, he's not actually writing it. He's dictating it, and Tertius is writing the letter down on papyrus. He's putting the ink to the papyrus. What's fascinating is that Tertius, his name literally means three. His name is a number. His name is literally number three, which most scholars will tell you it's the name of a slave. He's the third slave. He's in a Roman household, and somehow the good news of the gospel has come to him, and he's just a number, but get this. He is putting ink to papyrus, and Paul is dictating the book of Romans. This book, this letter, which, by the way, will spawn renewal and revival throughout church history. There's a guy named Martin Luther who's struggling with his faith. He's been taught that you have to earn salvation. You've got to perform, and he knows his own sin. But then he reads in the book of Romans, the just shall live by faith. And it dawns on him that actually it's Jesus' performance on the cross that's applied to his life. And by faith, he can have righteousness credited to him through Jesus Christ. And the Reformation is ignited. Because a hidden hero, a guy named Tertius, number three, is writing the letter that Paul dictates. Or consider Phoebe, uh, beginning of chapter six of Romans. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the, in the church in Sincrea. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many, and especially to me. Paul is dictating the, the letter uh, to the Roman church. Tertius is writing the letter, and then it's done, and the scroll is rolled up, and this female leader from a church is then dispatched to deliver a letter in FedEx and UPS-like fashion to the church in Rome. And the journey won't necessarily be safe in those days. And she will take that scroll, and she will take it to the the, the church in Rome. And guess what? Guess who's the first person to preach the book of Romans? A female leader from Sincrea. A leader in that, who's the first person who will answer questions about the book of Romans that Paul has written? It'll be Phoebe, who's delivered this, this letter. A hidden hero. Or consider Onesiphorus, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul writes, may the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and all his family because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. When he came to Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. May the Lord show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return. And you know very well how helpful he was in Ephesus. Another hidden hero, an encourager, a comforter. One whose name, we, we, we remember Paul, we remember, you know, Peter, James, and John. We remember David. We remember Moses. And, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. He says, you've got to realize 
that God is getting so much done in his kingdom with ordinary people like you and like me who are simply doing the things that God has called to us, and it matters. Now, in our day and age, people are very tuned in to the injustices in our world. That's a good thing. And people are engaged in causes like no other time in history. That's a really good thing. But because we're so, it, we're so saturated in celebrity culture, sometimes we make the mistake of, of going after injustices or, or pursuing causes, and instead of, of making a great name for Jesus being our goal, uh, instead of that, sometimes often what happens is our voices sound a lot like the voices from Genesis chapter 11. Uh, put up here on the screen. The people around the Tower of Babel, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Friends, the hidden heroes, the visible heroes of Scripture, the people that we aspire to be like as they aspire to be like our Christ, they had no interest in making a great name for themselves. Their interest was making a great name for Jesus and they were perfectly satisfied if someone read quickly over their name. And one of the things this story reveals to us is that the kingdom is advancing with normal, everyday people like you and me. The Bible's full of them. The church through history has been full of them. This room is full of them. Way to go. Second thing I want to say, hidden heroes. Second thing is hidden faith. Hidden faith. I have a friend named Ramsey. He's a, he's a pretty beefy guy. He's muscular. He's tall. He's the kind of guy you want with you when you're walking through a dark alley somewhere. You, it's the kind of guy you want with you when you find yourself in a dangerous situation. Um, and, uh, and, and we were in, uh, we were doing a spiritual retreat for our international workers in the Middle East and we were at a different location and uh, we had, you know, stuff happened the more we had worship, we had prayer times and speaking and we were doing some breakouts during the day. We had dinner and at night we just hang out and, and just pray for people and just have fun and we were playing a game. Trina and I were sitting there with, with Ramsey and his wife, Silka. She's from Belgium. And, um, and we're playing a card game. And, and Ramsey's sitting next to me, and he's got his cards in his hand, and there's a storm that's starting to kind of roll in. You can hear the distant thunder, but then the thunder gets closer. The rain starts to hit the roof. It, it's coming down pretty good. And then there is a flash of lightning. It's just right outside the building that we're in. And milliseconds after the lightning flashes, like loud, just clap of thunder. And Ramsey, the big, tough, muscular guy, throws his cards in the air, wraps his arms around me, and buries his head in my chest. <laughs> the rest of us, his wife, my wife, and me, are looking at him like, dude, what is going on with you? He's all embarrassed. He can't believe he's been so frightened. It's not a bad thing to be frightened by thunder when it happens suddenly like that. But he was a little embarrassed. I tell you that story. Well, let me just give you a little quote. Someone once said, Christians are like tea bags. Christians are like tea bags. You don't know what they're made of until they're put in hot water. <laughs> Esther is put in hot water, and her people are in hot water. And what comes out of her is beautiful. People find themselves in a difficult situation and Esther comes to this moment realizing maybe it is for just such a time as this. And 
And maybe I need to walk into that throne room and be bold like a previous queen was bold. And if I perish, I perish. See, she doesn't give into the seduction of self-preservation. That this, that, you know, I, this pr- pragmatic reality, you know, that this is dangerous. I mean, I might lose my life or situations where you go, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can afford that with my, my time. I don't know if I can afford that with my finances. I don't, I don't think I, 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 need to, I need to take care of myself. It's not bad to take care of yourself unless God's nudging you to take a step of faith. Self-preservation is simply this. We'll define it. It's the commitment at any cost to keep and protect what one is, has, and has achieved. And Esther has achieved, and she has great position, and she puts it on the line. Friends, do you realize that many people who have deep relationships with God encounter deep faith, strong faith? The reason it's strong is because they have these if I perish, I perish moments in life. Or maybe it's for just such a time as this, moments in life, and they follow God, and they encounter God. But when self-preservation rules the day, this is when followers of Christ actually, their souls begin to wither, and then they end up wandering. Because they don't encounter God. Because encountering God takes faith. And sometimes it even takes risk. If you need an example, think about the children of Israel. God's taken them to the promised land, land filled with milk and honey. He says, I'm going to give it to you, and they're in Kadesh Barnea, and there are 10 spies going the land, and they're coming out, and God says, I'll be with you. I'll, I'll, we're, going to, we're going to take the land. I'm going to go with you. And the, and the spies come out, and the majority vote is, it's too risky. The walls are tall. The walls are thick. The soldiers are like giants. We felt like grasshoppers in their midst. It's too dangerous. It's not wise. We're not going And they wander for 40 more years until that entire generation dies out except for Caleb and Joshua and their families. This is why Peter denied Christ three times. Self-preservation. It was dangerous to be associated with Jesus. And so he denied the fact that he ever met the man before. Self-preservation. Friends, this last week, I was uh, at a, in a meeting with our, our movement, our family, our denomination, the Christian Mission Alliance. I'm on the board for our denomination, and I was in this meeting, and they were telling stories. And our denomination has a theology of risk. There are times in certain countries, the country you can't even name, where things get so dangerous that you have to evacuate your staff. And it, it's not a bad thing to evacuate. <laughs> Jesus himself said, hey, when persecution comes, flee the city. And there are times we, we have criteria when we realize that, you know, it's time to evacuate. It's time to leave because of maybe war or famine or disease. Well, recently, our, our movement sent out one of, those, uh, one of those requests for evacuation to uh, countries that you've been reading about. Uh, countries where this virus, the coronavirus, is, uh, is spreading quite quickly. And the news went out. I can't tell you the country. You know what country is. I can't tell you the city. You would know the city. And when the team members in that city got the news to evacuate, they responded back by saying, would it be okay if we stayed? Because we think this is the opportunity we've been praying for. That perhaps in this time of crisis, that we could be a voice of hope. Now, I don't know what happens inside of you when you hear something like that. Maybe your response is, well, that doesn't make any sense. 
Well, when did following Jesus begin with making sense, right? There's faith to be expressed. It's not wrong to evacuate. It's not wrong to leave. But sometimes the Spirit of God's bringing us to those moments where we say, if I perish, I perish, so that God's work and his will can be done. These same decisions, the same hidden faith that rises is voiced by a, a missionary who was martyred. His name is Jim Elliott. Some of you know his story. Elliot says this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And Elliot is just putting different words on something that the master Jesus said is recorded in Matthew's gospel. Matthew says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Hidden heroes, hidden faith. Let me get the last one real quickly. Hidden future. We've been talking about Mordecai and Esther, let me just, and, and Hathok. Let, let me just kind of shift gears now to talk about Haman. I, I want to get too far ahead of myself here because I don't want to steal the thunder from the, the next chapters. But I want you to notice that Haman is living the high life here. This, I mean, he, he's loving life. Esther has gone in to see the king. The king extends the scepter, and she touches it. And the king says, what do you want? And she says, I want you to come to my house for dinner. He's got to be thinking, this lady is, she's nuts. She's risked her life to invite me over for dinner? And so Xerxes is like, okay. And she calls for Haman to come join. And Haman, as you will read in the weeks to come, he's thrilled that he's invited and he's bragging and he's, he's happy. He's irritated and annoyed with Mordecai. See, his life is all up and to the right. All the metrics, all the numbers say his life is successful. And he has no room in his life to hear about a hidden God who doesn't move and doesn't act and answer prayers when you need him. His, his life is ordered in such a way that his success, he's climbing the ladder. Life is good, but little does he know how hidden his future is. He's got two dawns and one sunset, and everything will turn on him. Two dawns, one sunset, and his life, he'll be begging for his life to be spared. And I can't help but come to the story and think about hidden heroes and hidden faith and not think about the hidden futures that are in front of some of you in the room. Many of you in the room know that your future is secured in Jesus Christ. You know that God sent his son and he lived the life that you and I could never have lived. He lived a sinless life. We're all broken people. We all are. We've all, we all fall short of God's standard and that should not be a surprise. We don't even live up to our own standards. And yet we've realized that God sent his son. Jesus lives the life that we could not live. And then he goes to the cross and he dies the death that we should have died, paying our sin penalty. And those in Christ know that your sin has been forgiven, that shame has been lifted off of you. And you have a future and you have a hope and you don't have to wait for it. It happens now. And you get life everlasting. There's an empty tomb. Death has been defeated. We sang about that earlier. Friends, there could be some of you in the room. And all the metrics, all the numbers are up and to the right. It's all good news. Life is good and it's, it's, it's fantastic. And you've been telling people about how fantastic your life is. And the, the news of needing God, I mean, who needs God? In fact, someone maybe in the room is thinking, you know what? Faith or spirituality or Christianity, that's, that's, for, that's for people who are weak. People, you know, if faith is like a crutch. 
Of course it is. Because when you realize how broken you are, you need a savior to come and to lift you up and to bring healing to your life. Of course it is. Jesus will say in one of his famous sermons, blessed, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Literally meaning, blessed are those who realize they're spiritually bankrupt. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn. He's saying, blessed are those who mourn their spiritual bankrupt. They feel like spiritual zeros because they will be comforted. And this is the salvation and the grace that Jesus Christ offers to us. But my fear is that for some of you in the room, your future is hidden. Friends, I don't know if you've got two more dawns and one more sunsets. I hope you've got decades, many decades ahead of you. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus Christ has made it possible for us to take our, first, our last breath here on earth and our first breath in heaven. And Haman is filled with anguish and remorse. And can I just tell you, that without Jesus Christ, those same emotions, you're going to feel them. But God has sent his son so that you could experience joy and peace. Hidden heroes, hidden faith, hidden future. What's that mean to us? I'll hit these really quickly. Here's the first thing I would say to us. Be a hidden hero. Many of you are. <laughs> Many of you are serving. People don't even see you serving. Can I just say to you, what you do is significant. What you are doing is important. The kingdom of God is advancing because of what you're doing. You're serving our special needs community. You're with kids and you're, with, you know, you're leading a Bible study. You're working in a nonprofit. You're, you're, you're living as if Jesus were living his life through you. Be a hidden hero. The second thing I would say is, is simply this. Uh, how, ask yourself the question. How might I lose my life in the place that God has positioned me? I'm not, I'm not talking about being haphazard. When God nudges in the family he's placed you in, in the neighborhood he's placed you in, in the place of work he's placed you, what are those moments where he's saying, hey, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm asking you to do something. It's going to feel risky. How might you lose your life in the place he's positioned you? Last question, it's not even a question, it's a statement. Become a disciple of Jesus. Look, if you, if you haven't experienced the peace that comes from being in relationship with God, in a few moments I'm gonna invite you to come to the cross and you can talk to someone about that. Don't, don't come to the cross with this idea that, well, let me just get that box checked and treat salvation like an insurance policy. Count the cost. Because it isn't just about receiving forgiveness. It's about agreeing to walk in a new way of life, the way of Jesus. So it's going to require change. And he's going to empower you by, by his spirit to do that, but that's the heart behind the offer he makes to you. Let's pray about those things. So Lord, this morning, we just want to pause and ask you a few questions. What do you want us to know about you today? And what are you asking of us today, Jesus?
We're grateful that you are our God. We love the moments when we see you clearly. Strengthen our faith in those moments and those circumstances when it's hard to watch what's going on. It's painful. But may faith rise in our hearts knowing that you are a God who parts seas and works behind the scenes. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.